Uh, this morning, uh, we have what we call a freebie of a sermon, which means it's unattached to a sermon series. I can preach on whatever I want as long as it's based on the Word of God, which I promise you it is. So I'm going to uh, pray and you can go ahead and get your sermon notes out. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your Word. It's living, it's active, it has the power to change us. And Lord, we just take this moment to place ourselves underneath the authority of your Word. And we ask God that it would shape our life shape our experience and shape our understanding. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone said, Amen. One of the most insightful things when you're getting to know a person is to hear what they have to say about themselves, like self-revelation, what they think about themselves, what they think about their personality, what they think they're good at, what they think they struggle with. One of the most insightful things is hearing someone self-reveal, tell you about their own character and nature. And uh, at this church, I'm really blessed to run a small group with Tali. We run a small group for some amazing young adult ladies, done it for a couple of years. And I can honestly tell you that the two most powerful meetings that we had last year were a couple of meetings where we did an activity. The first one, we got these Mr. Men cards. You guys know Mr. Men, those children's books, and you've got Mr. Happy, Mr. Sad, Mr. Angry, Miss Giggly, those sorts of things. And we laid out all these cards and we got the, la- the, the girls to pick one and then talk about themselves, pick one that represented themselves and then speak about their personality and their character from it. Another time, we got them to bring an object from home that was meaningful for them. And uh, they, they spoke to it and revealed something about themselves. And about this time, you're probably thinking, well, I'm never attending that small group because that sounds boring. But even though those activities were reasonably simple, the power in them was immense because it gave the girls an opportunity to reveal something of themselves, of their personality, of their struggle, of their experience. And let me tell you, the amount of tears the amount of amazing self-revelation, the deepness of connection that we got after that was incredible. Because friend, when someone starts to tell you about themselves, that's the time to sit up and listen. One of my um, amazing close friends, uh, she actually, she wrote this thing that was her life story and she wrote it in like a novel. And I read through this and after reading through her experience through her own eyes and her personality through her own eyes, her own words, I remember I finished the book. It was quite a profound experience for me because I thought I'd known her quite well. But after hearing about her in her own words, I felt like I knew her on an entirely different level. I felt like I understood her nature and her personality. Why? Because she had revealed something of herself to me. Friends, when someone starts to reveal their own character and nature to you, that's not the time you walk away and go to the bathroom or for a coffee. That is the time you sit up because they are revealing. So it's important. How much more important is it than when we apply that principle to God? Listen, when God says something about God, it's time to sit up and listen. When God starts to say something about His character and His nature, when God starts to self-reveal, that is time to listen. Because let me tell you, God is by nature faithful and true. Listen, have you ever uh, sat with someone and they tell you something about themselves or what they think about themselves and you listen? They're like, oh, this is what you're like. And you listen and think, that's really not what you're like, you know? Sometimes we have a bit of misperception when it comes to self-perception, self-awareness. But because God is faithful and true, it means that His assessment of Himself is also faithful and true. When God begins to talk about Himself, we can trust that what He says is faithful and true because He is 
faithful and true. Now the Bible, the Word of God, the Old and the New Testament, that is God's revelation of Himself to humanity. But the interesting thing about the Bible is that in many parts, God is revealing Himself indirectly. He reveals himself through story, through his interactions with humanity, through history, sometimes even through poetry. But there are times when God breaks through in the text and says, listen, just so you don't trip, just so you don't get mixed up, this is what I have to say about me. This is my assessment of my own character and nature. And when friend God does that, it is important that we notice. The first time in the entire biblical text that God breaks in and speaks with his own voice about his own character and nature is in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. Important passage. And the context of this passage is that the Israelites have been rescued. They've just been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. You need to understand this. He's brought them to Mount Sinai for the purpose of making them his own. He wants Israel to be his covenant partner. And I use that word covenant because marriage is the idea that it connotes, okay? He wants Israel to be his own. He calls them a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He wants them to be his special possession. And in the midst of this action, and trust me, if you go and read this in your Bibles after, there is a lot of action happening in this passage. He reveals his goodness to Moses and gives his first description of his character and nature with his own words. Not only is this important because it's the first description of God by God, in the entire of the biblical story, it's also important because this is the most internally requoted passage in the Bible. One of the things that you might not know about the Bible is that it is comprised of 66 books written by over 40 authors over the period of 1,600 years. And yet, friends, it is a unified story. That Bible that you hold in your hands, you better believe today that it's a miracle. One story written over 1,600 years and yet pointing to the same climactic moment, the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. But because of that, you need to understand that there were some books in the existence when other books were written. This book in Exodus and this passage in particular, God inspired the Old Testament authors to again and again, re-quote this passage. 20 times in the Old Testament story do we see this particular description of God inspired by the Holy Spirit being re-quoted by Old Testament authors. Friends, the, it's like the Bible is pointing a big, big sign telling us this is important. This is fundamental. Friend, if this is God's first self-description, and not only that, it is the most frequently requoted. this therefore is something that we must pay attention to. Even more than that, guys, every time we see a description of God's moral character and nature, we need to understand that that has application for us as His people. So you and I are called to be image bearers. We are called to be the image of God. And what that means is, to reflect the nature of the creator to creation. Friend, you can't reflect the creator 
unless you know his nature. And so every time we read a description of the moral character and nature of God, what we're really reading is a description of who we're called to be. It has implicit application for God's people who bear his image. And so after spending 10 whole minutes hyping up how important this passage is, perhaps it would be good if I read it to you, eh? Exodus 33, 19. This is the context, and then I'm going to give you the description. It says this, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Flash forward, this is where it happens. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, him being Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, here it is, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I'm going to give another rendering of just this verse from the guys at Bible Project. And uh, this is a little more clunky because it's closer to the Hebrew, but I think it'll be helpful for us today. When God self-reveals to his people, this is the first thing he says. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the sacred name of God, a compassionate God and gracious, slow to anger, an abundant of loyal love and faithfulness. That's the first time God reveals his character and that is what he says. Now I wanted to give you the initial verses of what uh, God tells Moses to do because I wanted to show you something specific. God, uh, Moses asks God if he can see, behold God's glory. And God responds by saying, I will pass all of my goodness in front of you. And so when he passes his goodness, he declares, Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God, slow to anger, a gracious God, slow to anger, abundant of loyal love. Friend, God's love is not just love that passes, love that is fickle, love that is here today, gone tomorrow. This is love that you can depend on. It's love that binds itself to you. It's loyal love and faithfulness. Now, friend, we were just singing before of the goodness of God. What God is saying, He's like, I'm going to pass my goodness in front of you. And here are the attributes that comprise my goodness. When God made a goodness cake, He put in the goodness cake compassion, grace, that He was slow to anger. How many are thankful that God is slow to anger? Loyal love and faithfulness. When you are singing, God, all my life you've been so, so good. Are you aware that you're declaring all my life you've been compassionate? All my life you've been gracious. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been loyal unto me. Let me push you. When we start singing that your love is running after me, and it's when my shoulders start moving, I can't even stop it. I don't know what you're doing behind me, but my shoulders are dancing. When we start singing that the goodness of God is running after you, 
Sorry. <laughs> you know me by this stage. Because that's the ingredients that comprise the goodness of our great God. And you know, I wanted to uh, uh, spend a, a couple of weeks well, listen, I'm doing my own series at the moment. So whenever I get a freebie, I'm gonna, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to break down these various characteristics to you because I think it's important to talk about the, the character and nature of God. And so next time I get a couple of freebies, I'm going to break down these character attributes one by one. But today I wanted to talk about Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God. So let's break that down a little bit. What that word uh, compassion in the Hebrew is, is raham, which means compassionate or merciful. And interestingly, this particular Hebrew word is only ever used about the character and nature of God. You never see this used in the Hebrew text to, do, to refer to a human or to refer to any other thing than the character and nature of God. And actually, all these Hebrew words in this description in Exodus 34 are used only of God. They're never used of humanity, of anything else. But the root word of raham is raham, which is only very similar. It's only a you swapped with an A. And what that root means is to love deeply and have mercy. But the interesting thing about this is the love and the mercy is emanating, it's coming from a person in a superior position to someone in an inferior position. And so the picture is like a father to a son or like a king to a citizen. It's love and tenderness and mercy that is felt by a superior for an inferior. And it's important that we stop there because that gives us for one second great insight into what compassion is about. Remember how I said that knowing God's moral nature is all about knowing how he relates to you and me and therefore how we should relate to one another. His moral nature is relational. It's about how he relates to his people. It's important for us to know that compassion is from a superior to an inferior because what it tells us is that compassion is talking about God's response to us in our brokenness, in our fallibility, in our fallen state. Compassion is what God feels towards us when we, friends, miss the mark. I don't know when you were young, uh, if you were, I didn't know you are coming today, mum, sorry. I don't know when you were young. The stories you write in your sermon, you're like, oh goodness, but my poor mum, she gets, it's rough. <laughs> and when I was young, I don't know if you ever felt this way, but sometimes you wouldn't like confess to things uh, because you were scared of how your parents would react. But my mum was super compassionate all the time. She's the best in the world. Wow, I love her so much. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> She's amazing. Oh my gosh, my mum's the best. <laughs> Great girl. Uh, one time, my mum and dad had this beautiful cane furniture. Do you remember it? <laughs> and I grabbed a stamp one day. I was young and I just wrote like it drew with a stamp, not even a pen. What kind of maniac child was I with a stamp like all over the back of this beautiful cane furniture? And I remember immediately thinking, what have I done? Like, you idiot. Like, you know, like I immediately thought, Haley, you're so silly. So I wrote all over the back and then uh, I just didn't fess up and left it for days, weeks. It could have been months or years. I thought I'd got away with it when one day um, mum, mum found it. Mum found it and uh, it wasn't good. And you need to understand that 
as an extrovert, I was exceedingly easy to punish because you put me in a room by myself and within about five seconds, I was banging at the door. Mom, have mercy, have mercy. Like, don't leave me by myself. My sister, on the other hand, very introverted, she's just stoic. Kristen? Hayley? Mom, mom, don't leave me with this monster, you know? Like, because I was very, very easy to punish, but didn't need to tell you the end of that story. All I'm trying to say is that sometimes when we mess up, we're scared of confessing it because we, we don't know how people are going to respond to us. We don't know the reaction that we're going to receive. And friend, we take that into God. You need to understand today that His compassion is about what He does when we show Him our vulnerability, when we show Him our brokenness, when we miss the mark, we can be assured that His response is compassion. Why? Because He is Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God. This is what makes His attitude, His disposition to us stay the same even when we move, even when we mess up, even when we miss the mark. You can come boldly to Him. His compassion guarantees it. And in fact, if you see Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 is the psalm that David pens actually when he's messed up big. He sleeps with Bathsheba, but then not only that, who wasn't his wife, sleeps with her and then has her husband murdered. This is what he says, Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Here it is, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Friend, listen to me today. God's response to, his, to our weakness is always compassion. Why? Because He is Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God. But back to that word, Raham, let's dig a little deeper. I'm going to push you on this. Another interesting thing to note about this root word is that it is more associated with feminine usages than masculine ones. It is very infrequently, only a handful of times used in regards to men, I think the couple of times it is used in regards to men, it's in a father and son uh, situation. But far more often, this word is used for feminine usages. In fact, this same root is the thing that is capitalized on for the Hebrew word womb. It is the same root word that is capitalized on to describe the tender mercy and deep love that comes from the core of someone's being. And when you begin to look at God's compassion, these are actually the types of words that you need to be capitalizing on because there is a depth here that you need to understand. This word is trying to capitalize on the deepest tender mercy and compassion and love that a human being has capacity for. And actually the picture that these words are painting, the love that is being described is the love that a mother would feel as she looks down at her nursing child, her vulnerable and weak nursing child, as it derives its very life from her. That's not just love. That's deep love. That's not just compassion. That is deep compassion. And friend, the implication for us is that when God looks at you in your vulnerability, he looks at his people the same way a nursing mother 
looks at her baby. In fact, this is what he says in Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Man, I wish we could take a moment and just reflect on that. But actually, if you want another usage in regards to mothers, there's a story about King Solomon and two mothers. And they have children, they have babies at the same time. One of the baby passes away and the two mothers come before Solomon because the, baby, the mother whose baby passed away is trying to claim that the baby who lives is her own. And Solomon says to them, Solomon says, oh, well, my solution is that we'll cut the baby in half because he knows that the real mother wouldn't let such tragedy befall her child. And it says this, 1 Kings 3.26, then the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved. That's that word, raham. She was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. God loves us like a mother who would prefer to sacrifice that which they love in order for their children to live. Friend, do you see the gospel message even in that? Because of this, when we say that God is a compassionate God, we're not talking about a compassion that is passive. God's compassion works. It works out things for us. He does compassionate acts for his people because he himself is compassion. And because of that, when you see this word compassion in scripture, it is most often linked to two works that he does on behalf of his people, the works of forgiveness and deliverance. Because of this, we know that when in failure and vulnerability, we cry out to God, he will always respond to us with forgiveness and deliverance. Why? Because he is Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God. You can kind of see why this one gets requoted a little bit, can't you? See, remember that God's revelation of his moral character tells me how God relates to me and so therefore how we should relate to one another. Well, let me give you a couple of scriptures about how this informs the way you and I should live. Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And this word merciful here is the same Greek word that's translated compassion in Exodus 34. And it's interesting to note that the context of this passage is in loving your enemies. And it says this in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. So what does it look like for God's people to be compassionate? Well, it looks like forgiving those who are weak and vulnerable, even when they don't deserve it. Because friend, that's what God does. And so if the team would like to join me as I finish this, I want to take you one last illustration and found from the context of Exodus 34 to illustrate really what it means to have a compassionate God. See, this book of Exodus contains some great climactic moments for the people of Israel. God keeps his promise to them to make them a numerous nation. You've got to understand that God chooses Israel by his grace. They don't do anything to deserve it. They choose him because God wants to choose them. He, they rescue him. They res he rescues them out of captivity by his grace. He provides for them in the wilderness by His grace and He brings them to Mount Sinai like He brings them to a wedding. And He brings them for the purpose of saying, I want you. 
I want you to be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I want you to be my special possession. And Israel responds and they say, yes, we want to be your covenant people. Look at all these things that you've done for us. Look at how great and wonderful your works are. Of course, we want to be your people. And so what happens is that Moses then disappears up the mountain and he meets with God to get the Ten Commandments. And what the Ten Commandments are, are just the commitments of being God's people. It's like you've said yes to being my people. Well, this is what I want it to look like. These are the commitments of what it means to be God's people. And while up there as well, God gives him the plans to build the tabernacle. Now, don't trip at that word tabernacle. All it means is God's dwelling place with man. It feels a weird time in the text for God to introduce the plans for a building project, but actually what's happening is quite beautiful. He's saying, yeah, I'm going to give you the plans to build my house because I don't want to wait for tomorrow to be the God who dwells with my people. I want to dwell with you today. And so highest on God's agenda when He makes Israel His people is the plans to build the house that He's going to live in so that He can be in the midst of them. This is what happens when Moses is up the mountain. But on the bottom of the mountain, In the midst of all this happening, Israel is building a golden calf. They build a golden calf and they start to worship it as Yahweh, as the creator of heaven and earth. Friend, you need to understand that this isn't disobedience. This is betrayal. And the only picture I can give you is a wedding ceremony. We are after the bride and the groom have exchanged vows and the groom is signing the wedding certificate. The bride is running off with another man. That's the only picture that I can think that encapsulates the betrayal of Israel in this moment. And so God is angry and understandably so. You need to understand that righteous anger exists in love. If God wasn't angry, you would doubt how deeply he felt towards Israel. This is betrayal to the highest degree. And so Moses comes before God and intercedes. Five times he pleads that God would extend his compassion to Israel. Five times he pleads and in the end, God's anger relents. But I need you to notice something. Moses is alone in his intercession. It's not the many of Israel who are up. It's not the many of Israel on their knees. There's no sackcloth. There's no ashes. The most they do is take off the ornaments that they were wearing when they were worshipping the golden calf. The many have done nothing. The only one who is interceding, standing in the gap, is the righteous one who was up the mountain Well, they all betrayed the living God. And in response, God listens to the righteous one and releases compassion to the many. This is compassion on a scale that you and I cannot comprehend. We could understand a compassionate response to the many where there has been the cries of the many. And yet here is our great God extending compassion to the many. 
after the repentance of only a righteous one. And I need you to know today that God still listens to the intercession of the righteous one. Because no matter where you are, no matter how broken, vulnerable, or failing you feel, a righteous one carried the cross. A righteous one climbed Calvary's hell. A righteous one hung on a cross and a righteous one rose again so that God could release compassion to the many. Wherever you are, however you feel, friend, however you walked in, how broken or vulnerable you are, you need to understand that the cross of Christ speaks a better word. And God still listens to the intercession of the righteous one. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because he still is Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God. With every eye closed and every head bowed, friend, no matter how broken, vulnerable you came in, Maybe you've been waiting to clean yourself up before you came to Christ. Friend, Christ isn't the end of the journey. He's the beginning. And you need to understand today that the cross of Christ tells you you can come as you are to be released into the newness of life because compassion says that there is forgiveness and deliverance that is available to you. And so if you're in this place today and you need to receive it, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of that, raise your hands. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Is there anyone else today? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else today? You want to make that decision today? Awesome. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, why don't we put our hands together one more time?